The Ram Dhamma's Kingdom, Book Two, The Oppressed Planet by Robert P. Fitton. The sense of forward momentum subsided inside the distortion. It was as if they were moving into an underwater green ocean, very murky and very bright. Varying in color and intensity throughout as it wavered, they were out of the universe in known reality, into a new region pulsing with unknowns. Perhaps it was the responsibility or a desire to understand, but Dr. Savard was the first person on his feet. He staggered down the aisle, bracing himself on the seats as he moved forward to the pilot's cabin. The cabin, like the VIP section, was shrouded with the lime-colored light. He looked through the windows, almost afraid to go down the staircase, but he did go forward and down to the front instruments. Where the hell are we, doctor? asked Kellogg as he watched him move up to the consoles. Being pulled deeper and deeper within, he told them as he checked the instruments. You see, I am not reading the same high-energy readings I observed at the station. The instruments just aren't working right, Doctor, said Mesmer. Nothing makes any sense. Are we still moving at all? asked McGee as they all came down from the upper section. Well, we must be, said Kellogg, looking into the cloudy interior. Listen to me, said Savard. I don't know if we're moving at all. This is something I've never encountered. I just don't have any answers. Can't you even speculate? demanded Rothstein. You must have some idea if we're going to live or die. Svad took a deep breath, trying to draw conclusions. He looked into the swirling light. Everyone was awaiting his assessment. If we are indeed moving, it's at an incomprehensible velocity. But it hardly looks as though we're moving at all, said Annie as she and McGee looked out the windows. But wouldn't we be pushed back in our seats if we were moving? asked Folsom. Yes, yes, replied Savard. This is very deceptive, very deceptive. Doctor, the ship in its present form. It can't withstand such speeds, warned Mesmer. That, Colonel, is not the baffling part. I'm astounded that we've been drawn into the distortion at these unattainable speeds as it is. Had as the ship penetrated the area, the gaseous green interior was affected by its presence. It produced a longer and deeper line, scratching the distortion. All around them, similar lines were forming, permeating outward, like ink onto a blotter. They could feel the beginnings of forward motion again and a vibration becoming ear-piercing by the second. Now what? asked McGee, trying to find answers. I would guess we are breaking a barrier of some kind explained Savad, still not sure of what was happening. His mouth was frozen open his mouth was frozen open as if he were smiling for a photograph. The sound was fierce. They blocked their ears, ordered to their seats by Kellogg, and the forward momentum increased. Strapping in they were in utter panic. Their thoughts jammed, as it was uncertain from moment to the next moment whether they would survive or vanish in an unimaginable death inside the pulsating distortion. Outside the tiny ship, the deep-hued green lines were twisting and colliding into a collective, darkening mass. Massive deep-color canyons expanded below the lighter areas above, and as the ship passed through, the towering crevices would melt away like ice to a flame, faster and faster until there was no light at all, no motion, 
No defining boundaries, only darkness. Reality had indeed been altered. McGee opened his eyes and, and took off the harness. Instinctively he stood, but things were not normal. He could see this new reality vividly in its pristine form. It was like being inside a multifaceted crystal of time and reality. Sharp divisions, neatly boarded forms. To his left, he could see himself just seconds before rising out of the seat. Beyond that, he was even farther back in time, strapped into the seat, and ahead, an even more awesome time-bent reality. Through the geometric progressions, he saw himself standing with the others in the pilot's cabin. Time had been inexplicably and neatly spliced. Curiosity moved him toward the future, and his future image left the facet as he entered. It was like an endless hall of mirrors, and again his forward image stepped ahead. Turning, he saw himself entering the time block to his rear. It was frightening and confusing. He found himself sidestepping into time, panicking, as he ran back toward what he perceived was the first time block. Even the time facets were fleeting. Images overlapped as he ran, his body passing through the semi-transparent portions of the ship, till he was outside the ship. He could see the letters boldly stamped beside the U.S. flag, United States SRT-457. He saw them all inside the windows, behind the overlapping images. The images were weakening, dissolving. Instinctively, he stumbled back toward the inside, dodging left and right as the blocks dissipated. It was a last attempt as he dove forward, slicing into the VIP aisle and into the present, yet still alive. McGee, shouted Annie as she unstrapped herself. You came out of nowhere. I was trapped in blocks of time. Time was divided and overlapped. I could see the future and I could see the past. Time divisions, asked Savard as he moved over to McGee. How is that possible, doctor? In here, smiled the doctor, anything is possible. If what you're saying is true, we must be gaining speed. We must be displacing time. What does that mean? asked Rothstein. Are we moving through time? No, I don't think so, Senator. Not as to say we can't. We apparently have affected this area, its arrangement. Will we make it out? asked Folsom. Or are through? Or I have very I have very suddenly learned, Congressman, I am not a soothsayer. We will just have to wait and see, he said as Barrett and Kellogg appeared at the top of the stairs. Is everyone all right back here? As well as can be expected, said McGee, smiling at Savard. Shut up, McGee. You're the one who's responsible for all this. You and your girlfriend, Sinclair, yelled Kellogg. McGee slowly got to his feet. He walked forward toward the general, stopping right next to Barrett. I want to get one thing straight with all of you, he said, looking down at Mesmer. Can you hear me, Colonel? I hear you, said Mesmer as he stood up front. First of all, General Kellogg booked myself and Miss Sinclair on this flight. You filthy liar, yelled the enraged general as he moved closer. Wait, wait, said Barrett. If you've got nothing to hide, Matt, then let him speak his piece. It's a damn liar, and so is she, he said, pointing at Annie. You set us up. You brought us on board the ship, she yelled. You told us to take this trip because you wanted us to join the SIA. Should I tell them all about the Ramdamar and the Red Metal, cried McGee. The Red Metal, 
said Barrett. That's totally classified, McGee. I'm sure it is. Do you know where it is, Mr. Barrett? Well, that's classified. I suppose it doesn't matter anymore. In here, it was stolen, he said as Rothstein, as Rothstein patiently listened. Do you know that the Ram Dama stole it? Who the hell are you, mister? yelled Rothstein. Something's awful fishy here, Kellogg. This man's no foreign agent. Tell us, McGee, how did you find out this information? I broke into the worldwide temple. We both did. We found it all on a computer. So now we know why the SIA wouldn't cooperate. We asked for a description of the people involved at least a dozen times. I got nothing, General. Are you going to believe this man? He's lying. For God's sakes, why would I sabotage my own ship? Dependent on DOS, said Folsom. I agree, David. My only question is why that red metal was stolen by the Ram Dama. Kellogg's eyes were moving from side to side as he breathed erratically. He could feel the screws tightening. You're as bad as him, Rothstein. He framed one of his own men, Colonel Thomas Hutchinson, said McGee. The Ram Dama had his enforcers take the red metal on instructions from General Kellogg because Kellogg was using the money from the theft like he used money from the Ram Dama for years to keep the space agency going. You son of a bitch, yelled Kellogg as he pulled out the gun. Barrett, who never hit anyone in his life, smashed the gun to the floor and McGee picked it up. You stupid idiot, Barrett. Now he's got the gun. Wrong, Kellogg, said McGee as he promptly again handed over the revolver to Barrett. Well, 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 said Rothstein as he moved forward. I heard allegations through all my years about funds, the Ram Dama's funneling money, but we never knew how. You claim to be so high and mighty, General. Oh, stow it, Senator, will you? said Kellogg. Won't do any good up here. We're not getting out of here, so you can take all your information and... Just one more question. Is McGee telling the truth? Yes, he's telling the truth. You satisfied now? All those people, said Barrett. They didn't have to die. Not only did you plant a bomb, Matt. No bomb was planted. It was a combustor designed to screw up the navigation. I can't help it if the damn thing exploded. And I won't feel guilt for any of this. What he's doing was for the greater good. So we could control space, he said as he turned and moved down the stairs. I owe you an apology, Mr. McGee, Miss Sinclair, said the senator. I should have known that he was crazy enough to do something like this. Senator, I wouldn't put anything past General Kellogg. He'll do anything if it suits his means. Anything. The darkness continued to encompass the ship. It had been a long time since the larger SRT had lifted off the runway at the spaceport. There was no way to fight the mounting fatigue in all of them, and each of them found a place to sleep. It was a strange feeling, not knowing whether they'd ever wake up again, or if they would awake, they'd only witness their final demise. McGee and Andy were on the observation deck. She looked up at the clock and rubbed her eyes. They'd been asleep for close to ten hours. McGee, she whispered in his ear. We're still alive, sunshine. He smiled without opening his eyes. Maybe this is all a dream. It's no McGee. It's no dream, McGee. It's no dream, McGee, she said as he sat up and looked at his reflection in the window. Guess not. Too bad. That means we'll never see the red metal. We were so damn close. So close. 
Kellogg was over a barrel. He would have had to have made a deal with us. They could feel the increase in speed and they braced themselves as the SRT hit the wall. The impact was minimal, but the sound was unfathomable. It was as if a prodigious sheet of glass that had been ever so slowly smashed apart. And in this slow motion cataclysm, billions of crystalline bits fell behind them into the depths, into depths without end. More crystals formed almost immediately as the tiny ship's velocity seemed to surge one final time. There was a brilliant flash of light and the sound resembling an outstretched metal coil. Everything faded in front of their eyes for several seconds as they passed away. It was a place where no man or woman had ever seen. At first it only appeared as a mass of amber light, a smaller part of the inside main constructive and intricate matrix of amber lines through the blackness. And this matrix extended across the upward sloping plain as far as the eye could see. Mesmer studied the readout, now apparently working. The amber crisscrossing matrix was inside the surface of a sphere. He, he looked out the front window. The far side of the sphere was only faintly visible. The colonel wanted more information. More computer simulations showed what was happening to the ship. It had left the matrix and was on an arch band of intricately braided colors. Mesmer looked out the side windows. The arch was extremely beautiful, but also very baffling. The colonel turned back to them. Well, here we are, he said as the others came forward. Here we are. And where is that? asked McGee. They all looked over to Savard next to the side windows. The doctor seemed more sure of himself. If things were coming together in his mind, nodding his head, he turned around toward the group. Well, doctor, asked Kellogg. I would think, if anyone still trusts my judgment, we are experiencing a novel event. Oh yeah, that's real brilliant, Doctor. Just real brilliant. Tell us where the hell we are. To the best of my ability, I believe we have escaped the effects of our universe's time. Time, laughed the astounded Mesmer. <laughs> that's impossible. I may be just a layman when it comes to science, said Rothstein. But what you're saying, Doctor, is utterly fantastic. No one can escape time, you idiot, laughed Kellogg. Maybe it's time to recheck all your data, Doctor. No, General. I would not be so bold to say that my ideas are absolute, but we are caught on a pathway outside of time. We have, due to our velocity, left our universe, our space and time, he said, gesturing with his hands. They all looked at each other, their minds seemingly dislocated by the suggestion. Savard walked over to the monitor. The intersecting pathways on the far side of the sphere were glowing like highways. Then he studied the pathway of the ship on the simulation. And I can say, we are all on an arc. We have been slowly moving toward the surface. Then what? asked Folsom. We crash? That is an unknown, Congressman, said Svad, pinching his chin as if he were trying to formulate an answer to allay their fears. But I don't understand, said Annie. How can we be above time? Well, Doctor, let me begin, he said as he looked out. A very massive burst of color, similar to the braid behind the ship, was moving upward and forming a magnificent funneled spectacle. First, let me try and explain the area. When we were back on Earth, or in our universe, we had a certain frame of reference. 
we see and observe things in that frame of reference. It's the only perspective we can ever know depending on our speed. Now we are in a new perspective. Because of our speed, asked Rothstein. Yes, I think that's part of what's happened. We have a neutral area because of our great speed, a continuum, if you will, between the forces that bind time together. The distortion with its incredible forces has brought us here. That pathway we're on, what is it? asked the congressman. Possibly a part of the distortion. There, he said, pointing into the continuum. There were more braids, braids that arched high above the continuum surface and connected back down at some distance. And even more fantastic were the braids that formed the immense funnels from one side of the sphere to taper symmetrically to the other side. I just don't understand, said McGee. These braided designs may be the effect of time warps, the outer extension of black holes, perhaps, and neutron stars and the like. In fact, the distortion itself may be the result of a pulsar or even a quasar, its tremendous forces spewing into the continuum and back down again, evidencing itself in a crack or split in what would appear to be a crack or split in our universe. Aside from our possible demise, Doctor, said Rothstein, I am still very confused. Can you explain this in a more simple term, in more simplistic terms? I have mentioned perspective, said Savard, perspective in our universe. Compare it to moving down the highway in a turbo. Someone has set up signs along the edge of the highway, spaced at, let's say, 100-yard intervals. We look at all the signs. They don't make any sense. Each small marking on each sign is only a portion of the entire picture. To see the entire picture, you'd have to see all the markings on all the signs. We can't do that in our turbo because we can only go so fast. But suppose we imagine a turbo that can go down the same highway at infinite speeds. Now we are pushed back into our seats and we begin whizzing by the signs. Each portion of the sign comes at us at a faster rate hitting us almost all at once until we see the whole image depicted in portions at our slower speed but in a new reality that's formed. Are you saying we're going to end up inside some black hole? asked Mesmer, our bodies stretched to infinity. I don't know the answer to that, said Savard. Not a very glowing possibility, added the congressman. How long will it take to complete this arc, doctor? asked Mesmer. Several hours answered the doctor, unless I do emphasize this, unless something unforeseen occurs. Join us next time for another exciting adventure of the Ram Dhamma's Kingdom, The Oppressed Planet by Robert P. Fitton. Produced by Fitton Theatre of the Words.